Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Hey, let me welcome my good friend, Dr. H. Patrick Swigert, who served as president of Howard University uh, from August 1st, 1995 to June of uh, 2008, and that's when... uh, my daughter, Shauna Renee, was uh, attending school. I always tease uh, the good doctor that uh, she was a little militant that took over his uh, administration building. <laughs> and he, he teases back and says, well, I was the one that ordered pizza for him. <laughs> it's, good, it's good hearing your laugh and, and, and talking to you this, this morning. Good morning, doctor. Good morning, Mr. Madison. And again, thank you for the tuition. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. And the room and board. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Let, let, you, you know, the, I wanted to get your opinion about the gr- recent headlines, uh, one about the record surge in enrollment at HBCUs, and another headline about how major corp- companies, corporations, are recruiting HBCU uh, grads. What, yes. What's generating these headlines? Um, I'm going to start at a place that may be somewhat of a surprise. Uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. I think... Really? Yes. Huh. I think the murder of Mr. Floyd... And the response by Black Lives Matter demonstrations around the country, not simply in urban areas, but around the country, in suburban areas and rural areas. A good friend of mine happened to be vacationing in uh, the outer reaches of Maine. And much to his surprise, uh, there was a demonstration at the one-stop shopping, shopping mall in the outer reaches of Maine. I say that to say that that caused an awareness uh, in two respects. One, it got the attention of corporate America. And as you know, I've had the privilege of serving on a number of corporate boards for some time now. It caught the attention of corporate America. And it did another thing. It brought some energy, some energy to a number of young African-Americans who, at the ages of 16 and 17, thinking about where am I going to spend the next four to six years of my undergraduate experience. So I attribute, I attribute it uh, to George Floyd's honored memory and Black Lives Matter. What is different uh, in this era as opposed to, well, let me say when Shauna chose Howard uh, over several schools uh, that she uh, was considering, you know, from NYU to Duke, um, what what what's different with this generation? I think the major difference, to the extent there is a difference, I think the major difference would be an awareness on the part of the parents, the Joe Madisons, the Pat Swigerts, that 
you can send your child to an HBCU and she or he will have the same opportunity for employment, same opportunity for career that we, some of us, thought in the past, Joe, that I need to send my child to a majority institution because that's where the action is. That's where the future is. That's where their employer will be. Uh, so I think there's been a mindset. There's a, a change in mindset. And then if, and if I can go further, you know, these things sometimes are cyclical. Uh, and I think the cycle, we, the cycle we're in now is that a lot of young people feel, and I think correctly so, that it's the place to be. And then there are three examples, Joe, that we're very familiar with, and you, without your support, would probably would not be talking about these three folk and their success. One is Stacey Abrams, Spellman. Uh, one is uh, Raphael Warnock, Morehouse. And one is Kamala Harris, Howard. And I think those are exemplars that the young people are also looking at, and their parents are looking at, as folk who are making it, made it, HBCU, born and bred, if you will, and doing well. And corporations, Dr. Swaggart, have changed their mindset, have they not? Be And, and I... I say this as someone, as you pointed out, who has served on corporate boards. Um, a lot of times you bring up uh, a Morehouse, you bring up a Howard, a, a Clark, and your fellow board members, I, I believe I would, would be accurate, oh, I'm not familiar with that school. Uh, that is a factor also because of the three and four other because, you know, one person we have to add to that list, Chadwick. Oh, absolutely. Both, you know, yeah, yeah. But that is, do you not think that's changed the, the, the mindset of these folks who sit on corporate boards and also in the C-suites? Oh, oh, very much so. I think the fact that uh, uh, now, there's now, if you will, some notoriety in a very positive sense, I use the word yeah. notoriety, attached to these folk uh, and where they went to school, I think, has penetrated uh, the corporate psyche in, in most of your major corporations. But if I may, Joe, I want to go back a bit further, if I may. Yes. After, the march, after, the, after, the, after the Million Man March, uh, one noted or noticed, I certainly did, advertisements for automobiles in particular changed rather dramatically. You began to see African-Americans using and in ads for American and foreign-made automobiles. I mm -hmm. really think, as I reflect back on the Million Man March, that a million African-American males assembled on the National Mall caught the attention of a lot of folks in corporate America and otherwise. The Black Lives Matter demonstrations, mm -hmm. I think, built upon that. And today, there's another development in corporate America that we don't talk enough about. And I hope someday that uh, 
that you have an opportunity to examine this. The number of corporations that not only have diversity officers, but have elevated their diversity officers to the chairman's suite, not simply on the outskirts of the action within the corporation, but within the chairman's suite, and in many corporations, the diversity officer is now mm-hmm. reporting directly to the chairman or the chairwoman mm-hmm. of the corporation. That yeah. is a critical, critical development. It's one thing to have folk in HR, human resources, who, if you will, want to do the right thing. It's another thing to have someone who has the chairperson's ear relative to diversity. You know that that you bring this up, and and I've had this discussion to some degree, and that is the folk in HR who are diversity people. I've been very critical and have said this publicly that too often they're they they're nothing more than accountants. And what I mean by that, Doctor Swaggart, is they show up at a maybe a board meeting, maybe a staff meeting, and they give out the numbers. Uh, Well, we're doing this percentage in supplies. We're doing this percentage in in hiring. And, and, uh, you know, I had a good friend of mine, a mentor of mine when I was in school, Kwame Salter, who said, you know, Joe, the one thing he all, he was senior, VP, matter of fact, when one of the earlier senior VP of uh, Kraft's Foods, and he 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 all he told me if you ever have to advise Sirius XM or any other company, always ask. Let me see the budget of your diversity yeah. department because <laughs> the yeah. ver- the budget yeah. determines how much value yeah. you put in that department. You would agree. Well, well said. Well said. Well uh-huh. said. But but let's not overlook let's not overlook folks who were out there years and years ago in a sense as as lone voices people like Abe Venable um, uh, at General Motors and oh, and, and, yeah. and others who were yeah. out there fighting the good fight with no budget frankly um, right. um, and very little support outside the corporation for that matter That's but they right. fought the good fight. Uh, but yeah. you're right, Joe. You, you, you couldn't yeah, I, 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 boy, I remember them, the Joe Blacks of the world with Greyhound. Joe, Joe Black, the Greyhound, yeah. the Greyhound, yes. Yeah, but, but the yeah. Point is, your, your point about budget, your point about budget uh, is absolutely on point. Also, budget and the staff that goes with it. It, it, it. You know, you may have the chairman's ear, but if you're just one person, that's all you have is, is, is one's ear. Uh, let me, you got to have let, staff. Now let me go if I could, and the, and the, and I so appreciate you spending this amount of time with me. Um, My privilege. You, um, the the I, we started talking about this surge uh, that HBCUs are having. What do they have to do, uh, Doctor Swagger? What do they have to do to keep enrollment numbers up while moving forward? What do they have to sure. do now? We have to do do several things. Number the first is that you have to provide a quality education. A quality education, in today's terms, means you've got to have the infrastructure. We've heard a lot about infrastructure lately. You've got to have the the academic infrastructure, the technology, 
that the young people deserve and the young people will insist upon. Uh, you've got to have an ability to recruit. And, Joe, this is something we've talked about before on your program. You you've gave me the opportunity and to do so. You've got to be able to recruit and retain quality faculty. Uh, it's sometimes overlooked the importance. We talk about what universities and colleges have to do, HBCUs have to do. It's recruit and retain retain your quality faculty so they're not cherry-picked and found their, and find their way elsewhere. So that's critical. And then I think, finally, you have to take a page as the leader of your institution. You have to take a page, I think, and act upon it from those champions who, without the benefits that we have today, work to, hard to, to protect and preserve HBCUs. I'm talking about the Mordecai Y. Johnsons at, at Howard. I'm talking about the Benjamin E. Mays at Morehouse. I'm, I'm talking about those, those folks, Mary McLeod Bethune, those folk who, without what we have today, they did not have a Joe Madison articulating their needs in the past. Those folk, we also have to take a page from them. More importantly, let's try to mimic the courage that they exhibited. What is the role of the alum, the, the, the alumni? You know, when you mentioned alumni, when you met, I smiled because when I became president of Howard, uh, I think I may have shared this with you before. When I became president of Howard, I had a, a meeting on Capitol Hill uh, with members of the of the uh, House Appropriations Subcommittee on Education. And one of the staff members said, you know, President Swigert, uh, we want to help Howard. We want to continue to support Howard and, and HBCUs generally. But your folks aren't giving any money to you. So how do we, how do you rationalize our supporting you if your own folk, your own graduates aren't supporting you? Great question, I thought. Uh, of course, my response to that was, uh, give me some runway, and I'm going to increase our support, uh, which happy to say we did. The alumni have an absolute requirement, I would say a moral requirement, to do more. Uh, we cannot rely entirely upon the, 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 the support of majority uh, charities or foundations or individuals. Yes, it's great to get those big gifts, but those big gifts tend to be one-off. Uh, they're not sustaining, and they don't sustain you. The alumni have to be engaged, and they have to march with their dollars, not with their mouths. Um, and I, one of the things that I always tried to do, I would have alumni meetings, and I would say, and, you know, folk would be happy, and we'd have a nice reception and the rest of it. And I would say, everyone in this room, everyone in this room, whether it was 10 people or 200 people, I want everyone to take out $1, $1, and contribute that $1 to Howard University, and I'm going to pass a hat around and pick up the $1. And folks would say, $1? Why just $1? I would say because I want to go back to Washington, and I want to say to that congressional staff member, my alumni are contributing. And I knew, Joe, if they gave me $1, they'd give me more than $1. By the way, some only gave $1, but, but that's another story. 
But but it's it's the concept of giving that you yes. are trying to establish. Yes. yes. There's a there's another, and this this may be rather sensitive because I'm talking about people I have a lot of admiration for uh, that you know and you admire. There are a lot of public intellectuals out here. I won't mention their names because they're all well-known, so I don't have to. Why is it difficult, and I've talked to some of them about this, why is it difficult to get them hired or working at historically black colleges? They're at the Princetons. They're at the Harvards. Um, they're at the, G, the you know, GWs. What What's well, the... I mean, you and you know this as a as an administrator and who had to do the hiring, because people sometimes challenge them and say, "Well, excuse me, Doctor So and So, why aren't you teaching at a historically black college? You're a, a black public intellectual, and you, you, your response or give us some insight." Well, I think there are several factors. Uh, one is just the human notion of seeking comfort. Uh, some of these folk are well ensconced at these places, and they're, they're comfortable. Their teaching load is very modest, and their salaries are substantial. So there's a comfort level. Uh, secondly, and, and I say this and I say this reluctantly, Joe, with great reluctance, and, and again, I'm not naming names. I'm not trying to imply folk. But, 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 Joe, some folk identify their success through the name of the institution where they're currently teaching. So if I'm at X, Y, and Z, uh, as opposed to A, B, and C, uh, that is my definition of success. Now, there are some, there are some who can transcend the comfort issue and the ego issue. Uh, there are some, and I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that some of the younger PhDs and some of the young scholars uh, whether they're known as public intellectuals or not, uh, can return. I'm going to go back to history again. Now, he did not have the opportunities that these young people did. But remember, in my view, the reigning African-American intellectual of the 20th century, W.B. Du Bois. B. Du Bois. I uh, knew that's where you were going. <laughs> that's right. Okay. I mean, yeah. he, he, he became a world figure with us, I'll yeah. just say that. At, okay, at, so. uh, at Fisk, correct? Yes, thank you. Thank yeah, you. at Fisk, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and Benjamin E. Mays, Benjamin E. Mays, uh, he too uh, was viewed as one of the, the leading theologians and one of the leading uh, scholars, um, and, and he did it at Morehouse, didn't he? Yes, so, he did. So, you know, it's, yeah. not, it's not impossible. It's and, and there's yeah. another there's another dimension to it. Let me let me add this, if, if I may. There's another dimension to it, and that is, um, and I'm going to use this term in the broadest sense, the media, the media. Uh, who highlights these people? Yeah. Uh, uh, and 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 who promotes these folk uh, when they find themselves at certain institutions, as opposed to, as opposed to. How about going down to Clark Atlanta, uh, uh, in, in Atlanta? Uh, how about going to AT&T, North Carolina AT&T? 
when you want to talk about engineering. Uh, how about going to, I mean, how about promoting some of those faculty members and, and giving them the platforms that some of these other folk have? And maybe, maybe if the platforms were shared, maybe some of these folk who are found elsewhere uh, will find their way home, if you will. Well said. Well, well said. I Thank only you. have 30 seconds. No, but he's absolutely right. And, and uh, I've, I've said that being part of the media. I've said that, you know, you don't always have to go to the Harvards and the Yales and, uh, uh, you, you know, you're absolutely right. You give, you give uh, these historically black college, and, and, and matter of fact, you'll find out that most of these professors, 80% of them, I think that figure still stands, got their advanced degrees from what? Historically black colleges and universities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I appreciate, we, I, I didn't get to the other news about the, um, um, the story ransomware attack. Uh, I take yeah. it that I, I take it Howard will be able to handle that without oh, yes, any yes, major yes. problem. Yes, yeah. and 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 will not pay a ransom. Okay, that's the bottom line. They will not pay the ransom. Got you. Let me thank you so much. My best to. Uh, we both work for boss ladies in our yeah, house. We, <laughs> and, and, and my special thanks to your better three quarters, not your better half, your better three quarters. <laughs> and I can't wait till we all get a chance to get together again when this, Please, um, this, this yeah, this thing is behind this, uh, yes. this virus is behind us. Yes. Thank you yes. very much. Uh, uh, really great discussion, good insight, and I couldn't Thank think you. of anybody better to uh, Joe, provide you're the best. it. You're the best. Thank you. You're the best. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.